Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much that you are a God who is mighty to save and that you are higher than any other. God, we thank you that you are a healer, our provider, our sustainer, our strength, and our savior. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds tonight to hear from you, God. We pray that you would use case, God, to speak to us, God, use your word to speak to us tonight, God, to change us, to sharpen us, to strengthen us, God. And we may be your servants in your life in this world. We pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. All right, you guys can sit down. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. There's a, There should be a, a Bible in front of you. If you guys can turn the lights on a little bit, that would be awesome so everybody can see. Acts chapter 2, last time we met for our first preview, uh, discussed just given the opportunity to share what I think God really wants uh, us to do, and I don't mean us in this room, but us as a church community, a Christian community, uh, just in general, where are we going uh, or where should we be going? And the way that I would verbalize that is by saying God wants us to become the community of God by understanding who he is in responding to him. Again, understanding or becoming the community of God by understanding who God is in responding to him. So last time we met, we discussed understanding who God is. Um, and we looked at Hebrews 1 and walked through that. And as we did, just highlighted different different aspects of God and understanding him. Uh, and through that, through the passage we looked at, looking at God clearly communicating with, with man. Uh, and different examples of that. We also talked about uh, God being the creator and sustainer of life. Um, Jesus being the exact representation of who God is. And then just the concept of the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, in, in the midst of the complexity of what Scripture is. And so, in light of that, in light of looking at who God is today, or understanding who God is, today we're going to look at becoming the community of God. What does that mean? And so we're going to go to Acts 2, which is a, a common passage, I think, especially for, for churches that are starting, or services that are starting, or anybody who is looking to begin with an objective of following Christ as a community, this is a good place to go. And so we're going to walk through chapter 2 today, which it's going to be lengthy, but I really want to get a full picture of what's going on there, and now what does that mean for us in this idea of becoming the community of God. So we'll start out in chapter chapter 2, verse 1, begins, says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were gathered, or they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like, a blow, uh, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Or uh, also could be, they began to speak in a way that was uh, divinely inspired. Um, and so we'll begin to, to discuss what this means. So you've got Pentecost and you have a group of people. If we go back and look in, in chapter 1, you have the disciples, the 11 that were left, and then a group of people who followed Jesus. Uh, and this is after uh, Christ has died on the cross. Um, he's been resurrected. He spent some time appearing to people. And then we see he meets with the disciples and he ascends to heaven in chapter 1 and says, Go into Jerusalem and I want you to wait there. And wait for the one that God has promised or the one promised of the Father. And so they're waiting. And they're sitting in a room. Uh, if you if you go back and we look at the end of chapter one, they're all together. They're gathered. They're praying. They're fasting. They're discussing different issues. Peter brings up the issue of, hey, we've got eleven guys. We had twelve to start with, and now we're down one. What do we do? And they walk through a process of picking a twelfth 
uh, the 12th man, and then we move into this day of Pentecost. So they're waiting, they're being obedient to God, and in verse 1 it says, the day of Pentecost came and they were all together in one place. Again, this idea of community, we see that on the onset of the New Testament church and how God begins to move in a new way, in a fresh way, in, in fulfilling and revealing more of his plan on fixing man, we see a group of people who were followers of Jesus waiting, being obedient to him. And we see the day of Pentecost shows up, not individually, but it shows up in a community. It says they're all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled or again this divinely inspired conversation, or maybe not conversation, but what is coming out of their mouth is not only divinely inspired, but we're going to see in a minute that there are multiple people from multiple nations who are able to understand in their own language. So there are a couple things going on. Not only are they able to understand what these guys are saying in their own language, but it is also a specific message from God taking place. So we go on in verse 5. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem. God, uh, now there we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Uh, Corinthians, uh, Medes, and, uh, excuse me, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Um, there's a word that I, I won't pronounce right now and I can't. Um, and I'm sorry, there's another one that's a P. Uh, and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, near Syri, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, uh, Cretans and Arabs. We're here, um, we hear them declaring the words of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them, saying, or they said, they've had too much wine. So here you have a group of men gathered in a house together. There's a massive sound happens, and they begin to speak words of God in a language that everybody can hear. God-fearing Jews are able to hear from other nations in their own language. And it has a whole list of these people that's just all around the world who have showed up and are now hearing this message from God from these men, and they specifically say, are not these men who are speaking Galileans. They're taken back. Here you have Galileans speaking in a way that I can understand. Now, a Galilean was not known for a high uh, liturgy intellect. I mean, they weren't known for, for speaking well and knowing other languages and being well-versed in linguistics. It wasn't a common thing. But here you have all these people from different nations are able to hear an interesting point. The, the spiritual point I want to pull out of this is the fact that God is choosing to use who he wants to. These guys don't have impressive resumes. They, they did spend three years walking and following Jesus, which is, is rather impressive. But before that, you had fishermen, you had tax collectors, you had people just from multiple backgrounds, mostly from Galilee, who are not impressive people to the rest of the world. Again, they don't show up with an impressive resume. However, God chooses to use these men specifically 
to bring the message of this is what God is now doing with mankind and how he's redeeming where you're broken. And he uses that. He uses their deficiency to highlight what he's doing. He uses their deficiency to to show this is God moving in a way that's amazing. That you have men from all over look and go, what in the world is going on? I think it's a concept that we can be encouraged by, that, that we can still participate in today. Obviously, this event will not happen with us. But just the encouragement, the excitement, the hope that we have in a relationship with Jesus, that God can use whoever he wants. Regardless of our age, our stature, our situation, our work status, who we are in the workplace, who we are in our community, regardless of all those things, whether good or bad, positive, negative, high standing or not, God can use us. So God chooses to use these men. These people are amazed. It says they're amazed and perplexed, asking one another, what does this mean? Somehow however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. So it's to the point where you've got half the group saying, this is unbelievable. What is God doing? Beginning to search and ask questions. And then you have another group that says, these guys are crazy. They're drunk. It's way early in the morning and they are toasted. And so in verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and those of smoke. And the sun, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among uh, among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. He, he goes on and, and continues to use... Uh, two more references, but what I really want to highlight in in Peter's conversation with these folks, in verse 32 it says, God raised this Jesus to life, and we were all witnesses of this fact. The exalt, uh, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, uh, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What's interesting about Peter, this is the the first time Peter gets up publicly and gives a sermon. He gets up and he makes three scriptural references to validate the point he's trying to make in communicating who Jesus is in the first real public stance of, let me share the gospel with you. It's very interesting to see the track that Peter goes through, just Peter's life as we walk through. If we go back and just look at Matthew, we see Peter highlighted in, in different storylines. 
in a positive and in a negative way. He's either doing real well or he's falling on his face. We see Peter's called uh, one of the first four disciples who are called uh, when Jesus shows up and begins to do ministry. Uh, Peter's called, begins to follow. And just to highlight a few of these stories on where things were interesting for pe- uh, for Peter, you've got, uh, for starters, Matthew 14 Jesus has just found out that uh, that John the Baptist has been beheaded. He goes off in seclusion, and then a crowd comes to him. He goes, he has compassion, he heals them. And then he just says to his disciples, we need to feed these people. They're hungry, they need food. And there's 5,000 men plus women and children. So there are thousands of people. And the disciples respond with, we don't have any money, we don't have any food. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And Peter's in this group that when Jesus gives them a command, I want you to go do this, go feed them. Peter's at a point, even though he spent some time with Jesus, he's beginning to recognize who Jesus is. He still has this hesitancy in going, we don't have anything. We go on in, in that story, uh, still in Matthew 14, after that event takes place, Jesus puts his disciples on a boat and sends them out and waits and in that uh that evening Jesus is walking on water to the boat and the disciples are terrified and Peter is on the boat with them obviously and says Jesus if that's you call me out there and Jesus says get out of the boat come on and you have a man who gets out of a boat and begins to walk on water towards God which is a, a pretty amazing feat that's called a miracle if you weren't aware a man walking on water walking towards Jesus but yet in the midst of that, he becomes afraid, he sees the waves, begins to doubt, begins to sink. Jesus grabs him and says, you have little faith. And so in the midst of a highlighted moment, here's Peter, dude, you're doing amazing. You're doing better than anyone around you in putting your faith in this man and beginning to recognize who this is. You got out of the boat and walked on water, but then you sank. It goes on in uh, Matthew 17, there's the transfiguration when... Uh, Jesus had, had three favorites, argue, uh, and Jesus takes his three favorites, Peter, a part of that, and goes on a mountain, uh, and they witness an account or an experience with Jesus uh, and the appearance of Moses and Elijah. I think I should have gone back and read that. I'm sorry. Um, but Peter, in the midst of that, just begins to babble to the point where Jesus is, is saying, hey, bro, you, you need to shut up for a minute. Just sit and watch what's going on. And again, we see Peter in the kind of frantic, negative Negative light. If we go to Matthew 26, is the Last Supper, and when they get there, the disciples all come together, and Jesus begins by putting on servants' clothing and sitting down, kneeling down, and beginning to wash the feet of his disciples. And he gets to Peter, and Peter says, No, you are not going to wash my feet. Are you kidding me? And Jesus says, No, this is part of what I'm supposed to do, and, and part of what I'm teaching you and serving you. And you need to be clean. Your feet are dirty. Let me wash them. It makes a reference to this, this symbolicness of Jesus cleansing him from his sins. And so he goes, hey, then wash my whole body. He goes from one extreme to the other. Don't touch my feet. Wash all of me. It says, and Peter just can't get it. He's on this pendulum and he's going back and forth. You've got the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus again takes his, his favorite three and he goes into the garden and says, you guys sit and watch and pray with me. And he comes back three times and these three guys have fallen asleep in the midst of needing to be watching and praying. And the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach them 
And we see Peter failing again. And then the, the really big one, when you hit Matthew 26, it's also in, in John 17. Peter has has gone from the Last Supper and the washing of the feet experience. And after that, there was a conversation that Peter and Jesus have that Jesus says, you're all going to deny me tonight. And, and Peter says, no, I will not. There's no way. You are my best friend. I got your back. I'm going down with you. And Jesus says, no, you'll deny me three times. And if you remember, if we go and we look at Matthew 26, that's exactly what he does. To the point where the last account that, that Matthew gives, that he's calling down cursings on himself. The man is cussing about the fact that I don't know Jesus. Is where it came to for Peter. But yet in Acts 2, as we see God is now moving, with the Holy Spirit is now moving in this community, we see Peter now in a new light. We see Peter now empowered to do what God had called him to do. He'd been following Jesus for three years, gaining the knowledge, the intellect, watching, learning from, understanding who God was. But it wasn't until God empowers this man to the Holy Spirit fills this man that he is able to stand up and do things that he is obviously incapable of doing throughout the storyline up to this point. Hebrew, when we studied Hebrews last time, it was highlighting um, the superiority of Christ. Acts tends to highlight the work of the Holy Spirit in the community of God. And so we see Peter, we see a clear distinction between Peter before the Holy Spirit and Peter now with the Holy Spirit, that he's standing at least in the same city where he denied Christ, very possibly in the midst of people that he denied Christ to, and says to them, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. As to where a month and a half before, he cursed even knowing the man, to where he stands in a public square and says, for all those to hear, the Jesus that you crucified is God. The man makes the boldest statement he can make because of the filling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. As he shares this message, people respond to the word of God and say, what do we do? And Peter says, recognize that you're broken and seek forgiveness from Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Verse 40, with many other words, he wanted, um, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You have the, the first day of this new, fresh, New Testament church and how God is working and how God is bringing redemption. And uses a man who fell all over the place leading up to the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Again, not a man of high intellect. I mean, the guy was a fisherman by trade. 
and obviously had a track record of he would get things right and then immediately get things wrong. But yet God ushers in the New Testament church age with this man in his sermon, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Again, just an encouragement for us. God can use anybody. It's our willingness to serve him, our willingness to step out, our willingness to put our faith in him and be used. Last part is we're going well, not the last part, but as we continue through this discussion, verse forty-two it says uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, or those who were believing at the time devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And so, as this new church ushers in, you have three thousand people come to know the Lord's first day. And recognize I'm broken, I need Jesus, and they put their faith in Christ. It begins to give us a description of what is now happening with this community of God. What is happening as they become the community of God. And it says specifically they do a few things. One, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so they're sitting, they're listening, they're listening to the word of God, they're listening to information being given to them about this is who God is. This is how we're supposed to respond to God. This is how we live. This is what we've learned from Jesus. This is how we treat other people. And they were continually, daily, devoting themselves to that idea so that they could understand what it meant to live as the community of God. We can't just walk into church and say, hey, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. Here we go. That's fantastic. We can do that. But then to be productive, you've got to begin to have some substance in your life built up. Part of that is continuing to, to show up and to worship together, to be to be taught, to be in classes and those things, and that's great. Another component to that is you personally. They didn't have the ability to go down and sit down with an entire canon and begin to read, to study Scripture for themselves. We have that luxury. And so for us, a part of that devoting ourselves to apostles' teaching is sitting down and reading what these guys taught. Reading what these guys wrote, reading what the situation in the churches were, were happening and how they were responding, and then taking that, okay, how do I use that in my own life? How do I use that as a part of God's community to reach out to other people around me? So they devoted themselves daily to God's teaching. It says they daily devoted themselves to fellowship. Not only a part of this community is, hey, we need to understand, we need to grow in our knowledge on how Scripture works and on, on who God is. But they devote themselves to each other in fellowship, to being around each other, to being a family. also says they devoted to breaking when bread, this which is a part of fellowship, coming together, eating together, and to prayer. So it gives us four Pillars or components to what we do as a community. We come together to learn about God. We come together to fellowship, to be a family. We can come together to eat. Part of that is celebrating what God did uh, in communion. And we come together to pray for each other. And to pray about what God is doing and pray for those that don't know him and how God wants to use us. It goes on in verse 44, says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. This one, it gets interesting. They continue to fellowship, 
to learn together, to eat together, to pray together. But it makes multiple references to being together in the same place, to being a community. Not only that, but to having things in common. So they had all things in common. It doesn't mean they didn't have difficulties, they didn't have arguments, they didn't have struggles. But they were able to work those things out. We were doing a lesson earlier today, uh, this morning in our in our 11 o'clock service in West Point, um, discussing Galatians 2 and, and Acts 15, um, which was an issue of what was going on with the church during that time in a major problem that had come up theologically on what it meant to know Jesus and what you had to do. And the response of Paul and Barnabas at that time from Galatians 2 was to go to Jerusalem and bring the issue up. And the point that is presented there, one is a theological point of what you have to do to know Jesus. The other thing is what do we do when there's issues? Especially us today. Church community was completely different for a century because you have a town, you have a church. You don't have churches on multiple corners and multiple church plants happening within the same city. You may have multiple houses that have churches, but they're all one body, one community. So it's a little different for us. What do we do then as a community? And, and as we discuss that today, and, and what I want to just at least for us to recognize tonight, often our response as a church or community when things are negative are usually two things. One, we get frustrated and then we group together and we begin to discuss with our friends and those who are on our side what we're mad about. Whether that be donuts, whether that be music, whether that be the style of teaching or the message or what's happening in a children's area, whatever it is, somebody that we don't like. Or other other response is, we're going to pick up and go. And we're going to walk into the next church and they're going to say, what are you doing here? What's your, you know, what's your background? What's your history? Where have you been? And we're going to walk in and say, you will not believe what was going on at the last church I was at. And we'll spill it. That's not the idea of community being together and having all things in common here. The concept that's presented here is when there are issues, when there are major issues, we as Christians, as followers of Christ, of a community of God, get to be grown-ups and deal with the situation in a godly way and remain a community. And that's harder for us. I know it's harder for us, at least in our culture, in our time frame, because if I don't like music here and somebody made me mad, I can pick up and go down the street. And I can be happy over there. But that's not the community that's presented in Acts 2 and how God intended us to work as a church. Not only that, do they have all things in common. It says they're selling their possessions and goods and giving to anyone as he had need. They're now to a point where they're a family. When they see somebody in need, they meet the need. And specifically for them, it meant they were selling stuff. You need money? Let me sell this and give it to you. Which is an option for us. We can sell our things and meet needs if we want. I, I think the big concept that comes out of here in this community, though, when there's a need presented, our job as a body of Christ is to meet the need in, in whatever way we can. 
It goes on, says verse 46, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God became the priority for these people. Those who recognized who Jesus was, put their faith in him and began to move and be a part of that community Literally, God became, this is why we're living, for the kingdom of God. We're going to daily devote ourselves to teaching, to what God has to say to us. We're going to daily fellowship with the community around us. We're going to daily eat together. We're going to daily pray together. We're going to daily work out the issues that we have because we're all still broken. And we're working through a process of being fixed and being put back to rights. We're going to daily meet the needs of those around us. And the response of the people in those communities around watching and seeing that happen was God was bringing thousands of people to redemption, to forgiveness, to his kingdom because of the way these people were responding. Again, the whole concept today is just becoming the community of God. What does that mean for us? It doesn't mean you have to show up at church every day. It doesn't mean that you all need to come to my house to eat dinner every night because you won't all fit and you won't like it because it's grilled chicken and broccoli and it's bland every night. It's not. My wife is here. It's not that. That's lunch, tuna and fruit. I made you mad. It will now be chicken and broccoli for the next month. No. Um... It doesn't mean that we have to take everything here and, okay, we're going to do all of these things. We're going to meet every morning, and we're going to let Ron teach every morning. Or we're going to meet every morning so that we can all pray together. We have to do those things. Those are good things to do, yes. It doesn't mean that we have to do exactly what they're saying, but the concepts of this community we need to take and walk away with and begin to ask ourselves, how do I do this inside our church? How do I do this inside my home? How do I do this inside the community that I live in? Do I know the five people that live around me? Have I invited the five people around me into my home for dinner? Do I know of a need in the community that I live in that I can meet? And if I do, am I willing to go to the extent of selling my possessions in order to meet that if I can't do so otherwise? which I think are heavy things for us to deal with, to question, to work through. Am I willing to be a grown-up about the issues I have inside my church community or inside the community I live in or inside my home? Am I willing to deal with those in a godly way that God can use? Again, becoming the community of God, understanding by understanding who God is and responding to him. When we meet uh, in two weeks, we'll go and discuss what it means to respond to God. What does that look like? Um, and we're actually going to look in James uh, James 2 when we do that. Some of you may be offended. If you come back, you might be offended from James 2 because James is offensive. Um, but so am I. He's more offensive than I am. He's smarter, but also offensive. So, anyways, again, thank you for coming. I'm going to pray. Uh, don't leave yet. Uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to do another worship song, and, and then we'll be dismissed. Dear God. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for another chance to come together to worship you. 
to study your word. I pray for opportunities this week for us to love people, um, for us to share you with them, for us to recognize and meet needs. Um, I pray for us as a church, uh, God, as you continue to bless what's happening here uh, at Rock Point. Um, I pray that you will help us to continue to seek you, to continue to uh, live as a family uh, and to love one another um, and to have things in common, God. I pray, uh, again, that you will give us opportunities to uh, to expand your kingdom this week, to love people, uh, to reach them for you. And thank you for your love, your forgiveness, and all you've done for us. First, we pray. Amen.